thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Primal Alternative Podcast, featuring actionable tips from real people with real stories about real food. This show is presented by Primal Health Coach Helen Marshall, who empowers other paleo-loving, thermomix-owning mums to start a sustainable, faff-free business of their own with the Primalista License. The Primalista License brings Primal Alternatives to the foods we love to our communities, making Primal Living more doable with less falling off the wagon. The Primalista License is available at www.primalalternative.com. And now, introducing your host, Helen Marshall. Here we are, Primal Alternative Podcast, episode 51, with the fabulous Ellie from The Natural Nutritionist. It's really hard for me to say that one. The Natural Nutritionist. As you know, we had Steph Lowe on the podcast a few episodes ago, and Ellie and Steph worked together. And they are doing amazing things in the low-carb, healthy fats world, especially with endurance athletes. And I was really interested to have Ellie on the show because she wants to talk about today all things plant-based. Now, there's quite a lot of um, labeling, dogma, nastiness that goes on, doesn't there, right? In When it comes to food, it's highly personal. It's so We get so passionate about what we think is right, you know? But the reality is that what's right for you might not be right for me. And what's right for me might not be right for Ellie because we are all so unique and marvelous and wonderful. And really, as hard as it sounds, the key to nailing it, I guess, is just through complete trial and error. So, you know, Ellie is not a vegan, she's not a vegetarian, but she does prefer to get her nutrition from a predominantly plant-based way of eating. Now, when we look at it like that, we can pretty much all agree that uh, plants are good, you know. Um, As a health coach, my... um, you know, my first message is eat lots of plants and some animals. And if that doesn't work for you, then that's fine. But I think we can also agree, all agree, that the factory farming industry is abhorrent, absolutely ghastly, and we should be ashamed of ourselves as humans for treating another, you know, living animal this way and then not really considering the environmental impact and also the energetic, might be a bit spiritual for Friday, but the energetic impact of eating an animal that has been kept, you know, away from the earth, living in its own excrement, eating a diet that is not natural for that animal, being pumped with lots of medications and antibiotics, is it really something you want to be eating? Probably not. And I think we can all agree that no matter whether you do uh, eat meat or not, if you're going to eat meat, and like this was a big eye-opener for me, like I think it's not that people are mean um, and just don't care. I think it's just they don't know. Like I did not know living in Australia, especially you know in the country, 
in rural Australia where there's a cow on every corner and sheep on every corner that the meat in my IGA, I did not know that that was from, from a feedlot, from animals that had been fed grain. Like I didn't know. I just thought it all come from down the road from the local butcher. So it's just an education piece. And if you do choose to eat animal protein, then go for grass-fed, grass-finished, pasture-raised animals that have been raised ethically and ideally killed ethically. Um, even or more awesome if you can make friends with a farmer. We've got a friend. It's you know that the government doesn't make it easy, but you know um, it's so hard for farmers to you know actually um, grow animals ethically and then and then to um, kill them and butcher them ethically. It's really hard for them to do it. So, but, but things are changing and don't listen to this and feel just like, oh, everything's wrong with the world. What a nightmare. Listen to this and understand that you have massive power. You have got the power of your dollar. So you can vote with your dollar or your pound or your euro, wherever you are, but you can vote with that. This is a grassroots change. Don't wait for politicians to realise that this is a terrible way to raise animals and, and eat them and how what a bad effect it's having on us and the whole planet and everybody else. Just where you can start to make small changes to buy free-range chicken, Organic, if you can. I know free-range organic chicken is like crazy expensive. It's like $70 for a free-range um, organic chicken, like a proper heritage breed, not one of the ones that's just bred to get massive quickly. Um, we talk about that in the episode too. But there's something really weird and about that kind of meat that you only need a small, you only need a small amount of it. You don't need as much of it as you would do normally. I'm not quite sure what the, um, what that is, but it's, it is so much more uh, satisfying than just the, the normal factory stuff. So we get really into the, the vegan piece, the vegetarian piece. And, um, we talk as well about fasting. Of course I ask Ellie what she had for breakfast, what she thinks of coffee, wine and chocolate. Uh, we talk about bloating, constipation, cravings, LCHF, keto, we talk about gut health, parasites. We talk about um, the average life of a KFC chicken, resistant starch. And Ellie also gives us a really cool um, way, like a guideline of how to build your plate. She'll also tell us about some of the issues she sees presenting in clinic so that you can know when you listen to this that you're not weird, right? You're not on your own on your health journey and there is something you can do about it to reclaim your health. So before we dive into the show, as ever, I'd like to give you news from H. Did that work? I hope so. So we are just coming to the end of Thrive. I ran a free round of Thrive and I've got about 60 women in there incredible women they are and um we started on february the 11th and we've just come to the end of our 21 day clean living journey and basically what we do is get together 
as a group of girls. And I deliver like a three minute video every day with little pointers of what to do in the day. So like um, what we're going to eat. So like, for example, today we're planning a primal celebration dinner, which is so much fun. And we went, we did a 10 minute full body workout. And we are doing a bit of a social media purge. So the stuff that we see only makes us feel good and not crap, which is really important. Um, And the other thing we're doing is working on like a wind down routine at the moment to really make sure we have the best sleep possible, which is also, you know, very important and real, um, like the king when it comes to your health, I think, is good quality Zs on a night. And that's been amazing. And the people who've joined Thrive have had a free month membership in Wellness Sisters, which is my membership um, all year round program. And so for their final week in Wellness Sisters, I'm hoping they're going to love it so much and want to hang around. But what we're going to be looking at is if you know that eating this way and moving this way and all of the things that are part of our primal or a clean living way of life, clean lifestyle, then why don't you do it all the time? Like, what is that? What is that? You know? So we're going to really look into that and look at some of the, um, the programs we've got running in our heads that might not necessarily be serving us anymore. And we're going to do that collectively as a group. So other women will hold you and support you to do the work. You know, it's not just a case of getting a recipe book and going for it, right? That part is about 10%, right? The other 90% is a mindset thing. Um, And you really do need to up level your mindset around what you think you're capable of and what you cap- what you deserve. Like it's two big humdingers that are often missing. So if you have been trying to, you know, um, improve your life, improve your health, because you know it starts with your health, right? But it, it goes into every single aspect of your life. Once your health is, is cranking and you're feeling positive and you've got mental clarity and you've got energy all day, cool stuff happens in your life, right? You know, it's not just, it doesn't just end there, does it? It's like, that's the beginning. It starts with food and then it goes into all the other different areas of your life. So if you've been there and then you've fallen off the wagon and then, you know, you're sort of in that bit of the yo-yo cycle that's so 90s, if you want to do the work, there is work to be done, but if you want to do the work and you want to be guided with the support of a group, the support of your own health coach, that's me, then come and join us in Wellness Sisters. Um, Currently running a half price subscription of $49 a month. So it's totally doable, um, hopefully. And you'll get your wellness bestie to hang out with for the ride as well. And you know, it's real human nature to ebb and flow. So I don't expect you to, you know, show up every month and every week and do the work every month and every week because you will naturally ebb and flow. Just think of the the sun rising and and setting and think of the waves coming in and out. That's normal. Don't think that you can be 100% freaking awesome all the time. We aim for 100%. We accept 80. It's okay if you miss something because I 100% trust that you see what you're meant to see. Wellness Sisters, check it out. The other thing I wanted to tell you about is I am in full swing of recruiting new Primalistas, which are Primal Alternative Producers, 
to the business. Um, in term one, so before Easter, I'm recruiting 20 new Prime Ministers. And as I speak today, um, and this is a couple of weeks out from releasing the episode, there's already four amazing women have signed up and very exciting. So keep, keep your eye on the Primal Alternative Facebook page to see where the producers are and who's near you. So you can find a list of our product range. So we make grain-free easy with our breads and cookies and pizzas and jellies and pastries. We collaborate with Quirky Cooking to bring you their grain-free life-changing pastry. Um, so like literally, there's no deprivation. Everything that you loved in your previous life, you can have now. And um, Ellie and Steph are big fans of the Primal Alternative range. They love the whole range. We love their support. So thanks, thanks, girls. You girls rock. And Primalista Terry is going to be making some fat and seedy pizza bases and a brand new triple chalk keto cookies to take into Ellie at the Natural Nutritionist. Lucky Ellie. Hey, so grateful to have her on the show. So if you've got a passion for clean living and you want to make it easier for people to be healthy, but you might not necessarily want to go and do all the qualifications that Ellie's done, then why not consider being a primal alternative producer? Primalistas just take the guesswork out of all of the, you know, people who are trying to have a clean living journey, but just are feeling overwhelmed with all the things they've got to do. So we can put, you know, pizzas in your freezer for a Friday night. That's our Friday night every week. Um, toast for breakfast. How, you know, it, we just make life easier for you. Um, the the buy-in of the franchise is really reasonable. Go and check it out. And if you want to come and hang out with me and get a bit of an info session as to how this all works and what you need to do and how much you can earn and hear from other primalistas who are actually producing, Come and see me for an online demo on the 5th of March. So I'm going to put a little link in the show notes here. I've just set up a brilliant messenger. I'm so over emails. I don't know about you, mailing lists, opt into this, opt into that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know I've still got to do it to a certain level, but I think only about, I only see about 25% of my emails and I think the same vice versa. So I've set up a little um, thing on Messenger so you can just sign up and get the info sent straight to Messenger. How cool is that? Because I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of my time on Facebook and it's so good to have everything in the one place. So check out the show notes and click the link to find out more about how you could become a Primalister. And look, if it's not for you, is there anyone that you know that is really good at cooking, loves to bake, wants to work from home and would be good making their own little business. Um, so put the word out. I am limiting recruits to 20 women um, this term uh, just really to make sure that we've, we're really off to a good start. We've been uh, launched the franchise on Boxing Day 2016 and so we're sort of just into our third year and things are going gangbusters really good. So I just want to make sure that the culture we've got is so positive, so supportive. I just don't want a big flood to come in and kind of dilute that, you know, I'm kind of being protective. So I just want to make sure that our culture stays as awesome as it is, that all the new primalistas coming on board get the support that they need um, and that we, we make sure there's enough stockists, markets um, for, for all the primalistas on board. So it is a little bit more um, selective. It's a full interview process now. So once you've found out more about it, you can apply for a primalista interview with me. 
I'm the only one that does them. And then um, I'll get back to you within 48 hours to let you know if your application was successful. But yeah, it's so cool. Let's, let's connect if that resonates with you. All right, let's get on with the show with the delightful Ellie. All right, welcome to the show, Ellie. It's so cool to have you here. Yeah, thanks so much, Helen. It's great to be on the show. Now, before we jump into our very interesting conversation today, share with us what you had for breakfast. Ah, I love this question because obviously being a nutritionist, I could talk about food all day long. (laughs) Um, So probably like, maybe like you, maybe like many of your listeners, I do do um, a little bit of intermittent fasting during the course of the week. Um, so for me for breakfast, it was actually an MCT or bulletproof coffee. Um, so in my bulletproof coffee, um, is actually decaf coffee. Um, just to, just to ruin it a little bit for those caffeine drinkers, but decaf coffee, um, in terms of fats, I use a combination of grass fed butter, um, and a little bit of MCT oil, um, Sometimes I add cacao powder, sometimes I add cinnamon, but today I didn't. Today it was just decaf coffee um, and those two forms of fat with water. So that was how I got my day started. And do you just like plonk in those fats or do you, do you measure them out to a certain amount? Um, I, I think initially I was measuring them out, but after doing it for so long, um, I don't, don't necessarily measure those now. But you know, for those that are potentially looking at introducing something like a a bulletproof or as I tend to call it, an MCT coffee, you would traditionally start with um, a tablespoon of fats. So that might be a grass fed butter, or if you did want to use a plant-based option, that might be a cacao butter or an almond butter. Um, And then you would pair that with a teaspoon of MCT oil. You could use coconut oil if you didn't have MCT at home, but um, traditionally a teaspoon of MCT oil and then blend it in a blender. I've spoken mm-hmm. to so many people who've trialed their own MCT coffees and they've not blended it and they've, you know, they've come Oops. to me like almost. Does it all just rise to like, the top? Like it's just a greasy coffee? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's just like a coffee with this pool of oil on top, which is not fun to drink at all. But mm-hmm. um, if you blend it, it does help to emulsify those fats and make um, quite a nice creamy drink. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does sound good. So I know there's, um, there's different ways of fasting as well. So you think it, you, like in your book, it's okay to have a coffee and still be fasting? Yeah, well, this is what we call a mimicked fast, right? So it's, um, it's obviously not depriving you of calories entirely, um, but as much as possible trying to mitigate any sort of insulin spikes during the fasting period. So um, bulletproof coffee is a nice way to do that so a great way of giving you some energy um during that fasting period i think it depends on how long your fast is as well and and what your goals are so you know if you're doing a 12-hour fast then you could very well get by without having that um that bulletproof coffee or if you're doing a 14-hour fast it might be completely doable but you know if you're sort of stretching that overnight fast and um, in clinic, I tend to use that 16 and 8 protocol quite a lot, um, which we know Sachin Panda has done a lot of research around. Um, 
I tend to find or I personally find that having that MCT coffee can be a really nice way of of getting through that 16-hour fast, especially when you've still got like, you know, any sort of low-intensity training that you're doing or any sort of work commitments that you're doing. Perfect. As you get, as you get, as you get better at that fasting, you know, as you sort of, as I might, as I might call it, sort of exercise that fasting muscle, you may not need that, that MCT coffee. So sometimes I don't, you know, it just depends on the day. Hmm. And I think, you know, um, it really depends on whether it's going to make or break your fast. I mean, like for me being such a coffee lover, whether, you know, I go through decaf and real hardcore coffee phases depended on, you know, where, mm-hmm. where I'm at. And, um, you know, I would really feel like I was missing out and have major FOMO on a morning at breakfast time if I couldn't have a coffee. So um, I found uh, just some advice actually from Ben Greenfield around 16 and 8 fasting. And he said that it's okay to have like a long black coffee. Um, and then he said to follow that up with um, 20 to 30 minutes low intensity exercise and two minutes um, of cold exposure for like the kind of like the perfect longevity feel good, dopamine hit kind of um, start to your day. So I've been doing that for the last, um, probably about the last couple of months and just loving mm. it. Like it's so, so easy to do when you can have, like you say, like your coffee to kind of, to kind of help you through it. And, um, and then obviously, you know, if, if we're in a hotel and there's a buffet breakfast or if I whip up some pancakes on a Sunday morning, well, I'm not going to fast then because <laughs> there's life to be had, but for the, the day to day thing, like it's, it's, it's nice. So do you find that 16 and 8, just, is that the fa- sort of fasting that you do, Ellie? Yeah, I do do quite a bit of it. It actually works really well for me. I haven't noticed um, any drawbacks in terms of, you know, changes in energy, um, changes in cognition or function or my hormones, which, you know, for a lot of women we do have to be conscious of. You know, you don't want to be putting your body any under additional stress by, by doing that intermittent fasting. But for me, it hasn't impacted at all. Um, so I tend to do probably close to four to five days a week of that extended overnight fast or intermittent fasting, so up to 16 hours. But I do, I do have that MCT coffee most mornings, which makes it, you know, as, as, as you feel as well, quite, quite doable. Yeah. You don't feel like you're missing out. So it's, it's a no-brainer because us humans hate deprivation, don't we? As soon as we feel like, oh, everyone's having something and I'm not, then it's just, it's, it's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I, and I don't feel like I'm missing out because brunch is my favourite meal of the day. Um, and I... I'm not that hungry when I first wake up in the morning, you know, I'm quite happy to go out and exercise and train and, and then have my breakfast. So I, I'm with me, you. I'm with you. And it's, it's almost it's not that different. Yeah. And, and almost like once you, um, once you get, you know, get into the swing of fasting, it's much more enjoyable to have a brunch than, than to be having a breakfast. Whereas, you know, like you say, you're not, not really hungry yet. You're, you know, you might be in a rush trying to get to work or get the kids out the door it can sometimes be a really stressful part of the day. Whereas when it comes around to lunchtime, you know, you're kind of ready to just take a break mm. and really enjoy your food. Um, yeah. So I yeah. think it, yeah. it takes one job out of the day as well, I reckon. <laughs> it does. It does. One less meal to plan. But I also have, you know, a lot of people, you know, come up and speak to me, you know, whether I'm at, um, whether I'm at a seminar or whether it's, you know, um, somebody that's coming in to work with me, you know, for initial consultation and they sort of say guiltily, oh, I, um, I don't eat breakfast, you know, is that okay? Mm. And 
um, you know, for so long people have been led to believe that, you know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And if you don't eat, you know, the second you roll out of bed, then you're going to be depriving your body. But we have to remember what, you know, what breakfast is. It's breaking the fast. And whether that fast is, you know, 10 hours or 16 hours, as the research is now showing, it doesn't really matter. But of course, what you eat when you break that fast is so, so important. So, you know, um, looking for something other than the bowl of, um, sorry to name names, but the bowl of wheat bix with milk, you know, look at something really nutrient dense that you can have to break that fast. Um, and that's what your focus should be on. I think that, 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 you know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day is, is probably the biggest marketing con ever. And it's really not, not served us as, as a, you know, as a species at all. And the, the thing that I really didn't like about breakfast as the most important meal was that it, it kickstarts your metabolism for the day and you'll burn more calories oh, no. if you eat breakfast. No. What a big pile of crap. Because I tell you what, my old brand with um, 40 grams of all brand with um, skimmed milk and sugar. It certainly didn't do anything to add any health <laughs> to my life. You know, is it just like, oh, just appalling. Oh. What, is the, what is the average Australian having or the average Westerner having for breakfast? You know, most, most likely it's cereal, like you just said, cereal with milk and or sugar and or honey, um, or it's toast with, you know, some sort of jam or it's, you know, a healthy smoothie, quote unquote, with like banana and yogurt and milk and possibly sugar in the form of honey or whatever. So, you know, no wonder we're all suffering cravings and peaks and troughs the energy levels and, you know, um, you know, cases of, of um, 330 itis because we're starting our day on just this high, you know, this huge load of carbohydrate, which is causing, you know, often that equal and opposite drop. Um, in blood sugars and energy levels, and yes, that that um, that breakfast is the most important meal of the day is just just a misnomer. Absolutely. So if you don't eat breakfast, listeners, and you felt guilty about that, then you're off the hook because it's much more important to tune in to how you're feeling and eat when you're hungry. So, Absolutely. Madam Ellie, before we get into our I really can't wait to start talking about vegetarianism and veganism. Before we get into that, share with us your story. Yeah, so people listening, you know, wouldn't be that familiar with my story. So um, sort of like where to begin. But, um, you know, I'm a practicing nutritionist um, and as, you know, as with many professionals in my area, um, my passion really has grown and been driven by my own health journey, you know, for as long as I can remember, you know, sort of dating back to, to high school days, I've had issues with my gut. So troubles with bloating and yes, constipation and, um, as well as things like cravings. Um, and as it, as I entered my twenties, I had, um, you know, those problems, but then being compounded with things like hormonal imbalances and amenorrhea and, um, and fatigue. Now, I studied um, nutrition and exercise sciences as my undergraduate, but, you know, still what I learned there um, is, you know, is really the same as what we've just been talking about. You know, what I learned there was about the benefits of low fat eating and, um, and, you know, have wheat bix for breakfast and you'll be fine. Um, so, you know, I did do a lot of research um, or have been doing a lot of research um, over the last, I would say, this part of the last 10 years um, to sort of unravel my own health problems. 
um, and have found that a lower carbohydrate, healthier fat approach is is really the thing that started to turn or the sort of, I guess, the protocol that started to turn things around for me. Um, and the biggest barometer for me is my hormones. Um, you know, it's only since taking on a lower carb, healthier fat approach that I've actually been able to have a normal menstrual cycle wow. since like my early 20s. So for me, that's my barometer. Um, so that's, yeah, that's my personal journey, but lots of research and, um, and lots of experimenting with myself um, to learn how to overcome these, these gut health challenges um, and hormonal challenges. Now, I'm also a runner. Um, so, you know, for, for probably, yeah, the last 10, 12 years, I've been doing things like half marathons and full marathons and, you know, by no means at any sort of professional standard. Um, but for me, my real passions lie in nutrition and exercise. And again, my own personal experience has really dictated, um, dictated the flow for me. Mm, wow. So can you tell us how um, an LCHF lifestyle can, or how it has for you at least, how, how, in what way did that impact your menstrual cycle? I mean, I know you said it's only since you found that way of life that you, you had normal periods, but why was that? Could you just explain a little bit? Yeah, and look, it's going to be multifactorial. Um, but I came out of um, I came out of studying at university very much on a um, sort of calorie counting regime, right? So I restricted my calories because I thought that was the best way to maintain my weight, especially whilst I was training and running. Um, and what do you do when you're calorie counting? You know, most people tend to avoid the macronutrients that have the most calories per gram. So, you know, that means you're eating lots in the way of carbohydrates. Um, for, you know, for those that are interested, four calories per gram when it comes to carbohydrates, um, which means you start to omit the fats. So, you know, fats being nine calories per gram. So that was, that was the problem for me. I honestly believe that was it, you know, really avoiding fats in my diet um, to keep it low calorie. You know, when you transition to that lower carbohydrate, and that's lower than the food pyramid, that doesn't mean no carbohydrate. Um, but when you transition from from that that way of eating, that calorie counting, um, calorie restrictive quite way way of eating, to suddenly including more fats in your diet, it has a profound impact on your body's ability to, you know, to make hormones. You know, we need cholesterol in our diet to be able to make hormones, and you know that was something that I was probably missing for a long time. So I would say that was prob that's probably you know number one. Um, in terms of me getting my, my menstrual cycle back. Now, like I mentioned to you, I've also had gut health challenges. Um, so I've done quite a bit in the way of microbiome testing, which rightly or wrongly, I'm going to assume you've done a, had a little bit of conversation about on the show. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. We're all um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, in my time, I've uncovered parasites and I've uncovered dysbiosis. Um, and so, you know, starting to overcome that has had an impact on my menstrual cycle as well. Fantastic. So from a um, low carb point of view, what does that look like for you? Because I know some people are eating under 20 grams of carbs a day and so say call it low carb as opposed to keto. But what does the right amount of carbohydrate look like for you roughly? On, on any mm. given day? 
Yeah, so I tend to look at it less from a grams perspective and more from a percent um, percent energy in- intake perspective, but we could we could go both. Um, and for those that you know, for those that are keen to know the difference between keto or LCHF, you know, I sort of I sort of say that um, LCHF is a spectrum, you know, and we sit on this sliding scale of of carbohydrate intake. You know, at at one end of that scale, you may have somebody that's sitting on around about a 150 grams of carbohydrates per day and they'd definitely be individuals consuming you know the higher end um and then down towards that lower end of the scale you might have down to around you know 22 um to 50 grams of carbohydrates per day which would definitely be more down that keto end um and i personally sit somewhere in the middle so if i do track my um my macros every now and then i dive into something like my fitness power just for a little bit of recalibration um if i do track it then i tend to find that i'm around about 80 grams to 100 grams of carbohydrates per day which for me probably ends up being about 20% of my energy intake. Um, And most of that carbohydrate that I have would be in and around my exercise. So most likely consumed post-training. Awesome. Thanks for clarifying that because I know some people um, are unsure what the difference between LCHF and keto is and how low carb is low carb, you know. So um, that's really good to get like a real person's um, actual numbers, which is cool. So thanks for sharing that, Ellie. Now, let's get into Sorry, go on. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, my concern, my concern when it comes down to that real low end of the scale um, is is that vegetables start to go missing you know we start to count count carbohydrates to the point where we're afraid to eat broccoli and we're afraid to eat cauliflower and um you know in my opinion and just my my gut tells me that that's that's not that's not right um so you know I, a lot of my carbohydrate would be coming from vegetables that's included in that that 80 to 100 gram figure yeah, awesome. Yeah, and, and the same for me when I went too low carb and it wasn't good for me. I had um, implications on my thyroid. I gained weight. I had fatigue and just brain fog and just generally felt crap. When I went too low carb, uh, I stopped eating fruit altogether, um, which mm. just seems like such a shame, especially in summer. You know, like I haven't eaten things like mango for years and last night I had a little mm. mango and I was like, oh, my God, why am I not eating you know, like a fruit, you know, it's like mm. fruit where I was, you know, loading up on loads of like nut butters, coconut creams, the real, you know, heavy fats, which really don't work for me. So I think as you've done with your own trial and error, N equals one experiment and found out what's worked for you, that's really what everyone's got to do. There's no one size fits all. And it's really just about, yeah. Yeah, precisely. What works. Yeah. 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 And, and not feeling like you have to be, like either all in or you're out, mm. um, which possibly feeds in quite nicely to the discussion today around, you know, being vegan or vegetarian is that, um, you know, when it comes to diet, there are these just these diehards that think, you know, you've got to be keto or you're not, you know, you're not good or you have to be vegan 100% or, you know, you're not worthy. And um, what actually Steph and I have been having conversations about because I work quite closely with Steph Lowe, who we've had on the show as well, is that you know, there's got to be an element of comfort with this grey area, um, you know, of 
you know, not having to sit down the, the keto end of the scale um, just to achieve your health goals and health outcomes or not having to be completely vegan um, if you're wanting to have an impact on the, the future of the planet or, um, or if you've got um, strong ethical thoughts around um, meat production and, and meat consumption. So why, um, so why would I probably... Sorry, this, like, don't you just hate that satellite delay? It's like it's the most over-talking, like, uh, 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 oh, sorry, yeah, sorry, satellite delay. You go, Ellie, my darling. I know. <laughs> There's just so much to say. But you go. You do. Um, so I really just want to dive into why vegetarianism and veganism is a subject that you're so passionate about. Yeah, great, which is sort of what I was going to come back to because when we were talking about my story and my journey, I didn't really, um, I didn't really bring that part into it. So I definitely want to highlight that. But um, I, for me, like, you know, like everything, it, it, well, for me personally, things sort of tend to happen, um, you know, as in a process. Um, so for me, I guess my, my journey or my process of sort of dabbling with vegan and vegetarianism um, probably started Oh, around about it would be eight eight or so years ago now um, when I was living here in Australia I just started to sort of slow down or, or reduce the amount of animal protein that I was consuming um, but it wasn't until I moved to the US and lived there for a period where I really started to become more conscious of um, meat production and um, started to become more interested in meat production, particularly in the US. You know, there's a lot of hormones that are fed to the animals. There's a lot of antibi antibiotic use um, going on. And I was doing reading and just, you know, completely put off by um, the meat and livestock industry there in the US. So whilst I was, whilst I was in the US, um, I did decide to go completely plant-based. Um, you know, it was pretty easy because... I wasn't sort of surrounded by my usual social circles that I would be surrounded by here in Australia. So, um, you know, there wasn't that pressure of the people around me saying like, oh, you know, why aren't you eating meat or why aren't you eating cheese? Um, it was just quite easy. People like, oh, okay, yeah, you don't eat meat products or you don't eat animal products. Great. Um, uh, but for, for me, that was probably where the interest really began. It was that, that sort of deep dive into the industry that really sort of freaked me out. Um, you know, what I will never forget learning is this, um, is this stat that the average KFC chicken, um, by the time it gets slaughtered, is about 19 days old. Mm. Now, that's just hideous. You know, you think about the amount of hormone that that chicken has been pumped with and, and then the antibiotics that that chicken has to be fed because it can't stand on its own two feet because it's not strong enough to carry the weight that it's gained in such a short period of time. So it sits in its own mess and then it's got risk of disease. So it's got to have the antibiotics and, you know, that's what we're being fed. And not a lot of people are aware of that. You know, a lot of people in the West choose to turn a blind eye to where their meat and to some degree where their food comes from in general. So um, my, I guess my, my goal or my passion is not necessarily to get everybody to avoid eating meat products altogether, but just is to raise the level of awareness um, and in doing so hopefully sort of start to reduce the reliance on um, on meat proteins. Um, you know, I don't know this stat here for Australia, but in the US, 90% um, of the calories consumed is derived from either processed or animal foods. 
So my goal is to start to shift that number um, and to, to get people focusing more on, more on a plant-based nutrient-dense diet. Um, and the LCHF space. That's a remarkable stat. Like 90% is just... Ugh. I know, it's I know. and unbelievable. And, and the yeah. fact, you know, the, the stat you gave us about the KFC chicken, like once you learn a fact like that, you can't unlearn it. There's no way you could go up to KFC and forget that fact, you know, anymore. But what are your thoughts on, and this is what, what I love about the paleo primal world as well, is that there is this awareness about how unsustainable and how unethical the factory farming industry is. And, you know, when I first went paleo, I went into our IGA and said, look, obviously we live in a country, there's cows on every corner. It's like, obviously this meat is local and grass fed. And it's like, no, no, it's from a, it's from a feedlot. It's grain fed which was really like, oh my God, are you serious? And, and just having that awareness. So, so I'm really interested to know your thoughts, Ellie. Obviously, there's a massive difference between a KFC chicken and a free-range organic pastured chicken. So what are your thoughts on the quality and the ethical um, background of animal, animal products? Or do you just feel that animal products are not needed? Uh, no, I wouldn't say they're necessarily not needed, um, but I do think we have the luxury of um, perhaps just prioritising those that are more ethically farmed or those that that aren't grain fed. You know that those are left. You know, prioritise those that are left to um, left left to graze in natural pastures, so to speak. Um, and, you know, as you would be aware, often those those products are more expensive. So maybe that naturally means, you know, you don't have red meat seven days a week. You have red meat two to three days a week. Um, or you don't have chicken, you know, in your salad every day for lunch. You have it a couple of days in your salad for lunch. Um, and, you know, you're still absolutely going to be meeting your requirements for things like, you know, iron and zinc and protein. Um, but you're going to be, um, I guess, saying no to a pretty hideous um, industry, which is the factory farming industry. Um, and also, I guess, allowing your budget to stretch to 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 be able to buy those slightly more expensive products that are, that are grass fed and pasture raised. Um, you know, I've had clients that I've, I've talked to about um, prioritizing grass fed, you know, meats and they're like, Oh, what, what else, what else do cows eat if they're not mm -hmm. grass fed, you know, <laughs> grains, <laughs> that's what most cows are fed these days, grains, which just goes against the grain um, of what they were raised to raised to consume. Oh, look, I 100% agree with you, absolutely. And it is, you know, I'm really grateful to you and, and for your work to help shift that percentage of, you know, what we're eating. I think we can all agree that humans are predominantly better off on a um, plant-based, you know, higher percentage plant-based diet. So as we know, like there's so many nutrient-dense foods that come from animals like, you know, fermented dairy, red meat, fish, bone broth. So how does a vegan make up for a lack of these foods when they're on a, on a vegan protocol? Yes. So some of those foods that you've just mentioned, so your, you know, your fermented dairy, your, your fish, your bone broths, you know, they're amazing and, and bioavailable sources of things like iron and zinc um, and omega-3 fatty acids right there in our, you know, in our fish, for example, um, and, and also things like B12. Now, 
generally speaking, for most vegans, it's absolutely, um, you know, absolutely achievable to, con- to, to, to meet requirements for these particular nutrients. Um, but, you know, why I love consulting one-on-one with people is, is just to help people understand that if you are going to go vegan or vegetarian or if you're going to radically reduce your intake, intake of animal proteins is that it's not enough to to simply remove these foods um, and re- replace them um, or just turn to more carbohydrate rich foods i'm sure that's not going to be a massive concern for for many of your listeners but um one of my old lecturers i think referred to it as the starchitarian you know mm. that individual who sort of thinks they're doing the amazing thing for the planet by um and for their health you know, to some degree by emitting animal proteins, but then all they do is continue to eat um, all of the wheat, the bread, the pasta, the rice, um, and, and that's all they consume in their diet. So if you are one of those people that's going plant-based and you become a starchitarian, um, then you're definitely going to be at risk of um, not meeting needs for things like iron um, and zinc and omega-3s. Um, but on the flip side, if you're somebody that's very health conscious and you decide just to, to sort of, um, I guess, flip that, flip that ratio and make, you know, 90% of your diet plant-based and you're eating lots of amazing things like, um, you know, broccoli and nuts and seeds and, um, you know, seaweed products um, and, and beautiful oils like olive oil and flaxseed oil and hemp seed oil, then, you know, chances of um, not meeting requirements for those nutrients that I just mentioned is going to be quite low. There is one little caveat to that though, which is B12. Um, so B12, we really can't consume on a purely plant-based diet. Um, so it is one that I do recommend supplementing with for those individuals that, that don't eat any animal protein at all. Okay, cool. All right, so give us an idea of what a typical day would look like uh, for, a, for, for a vegan. What, you know, you've already talked a little bit about what you have for breakfast, but give us an idea of a couple of your typical lunches or dinners, if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. Um, like, just, just to be clear, I'm not vegan, so I don't, I don't sort of put myself in that category of being 100% vegan. I tend to use more, um, more the label plant-based um, just because I do, I do have some animal products in my diet and um, for me it's a little more fluid. Like, you know, if I'm out and there's fish on offer, I'll eat it, or if I'm at home and there's, like, beautiful um, free-range organic um, eggs in the fridge, then I'll have them. And... Um, so, so I see my diet as being quite fluid and sort of depending on what I feel like I'll eat. But I just wanted to highlight that because I don't want anyone who is vegan to, to listen to me and sort of you know, frown upon me. I'm not saying I'm vegan. I'm saying I'm plant-based and, um, you know, listen to, listen to my body. Um, but in terms of my, my typical day, you know, if I don't start it with an MCT coffee like I was talking about before, um, then usually it's a smoothie. Um, do you want to know this? Do you want to know the ingredients in my smoothie? Yes, please. I'm, I love though? smoothies and I'm always on the hunt. <laughs> so yes, please. <laughs> ah, well, look at my standard smoothie because I'm a bit of a creature of a bit of a creature of habit when it comes to my smoothies. But uh, my standard smoothie would be blueberries or mixed berries, but usually blueberries. And I choose to buy organic berries. 
Um, if, if I've done some training, then I'll add banana to it as well. But if I haven't done training or if I've just been for a walk, um, then, then there won't be banana in there. I usually add a plant-based protein. So at the moment I'm using just a really clean and basic hemp powder. Um, I'll then add some, some good quality fats in there. And depending on whether I'm having three meals or two meals in that day, I might have a slightly different amount of fats. So just for those of you listening, you know, if I'm having a smoothie for lunch because I've had an MCT coffee for brekkie, then my smoothie might have a little more fat in it. But if I'm having a smoothie for breakfast, then I usually have um, a tablespoon of flaxseed meal, um, a tablespoon of almond butter or peanut butter, depending on what I feel like, um, and then between one to two tablespoons of chia seeds in there. So, you know, those fats go on to make it a really satisfying and, and really filling smoothie. Um, in terms of with, with water or do you use coconut milk? What's your, your liquid? My milk of choice at the moment is the um, Pure Harvest Hazelnut and Coconut blend i can't mm. get enough of it is like the yummiest nut milk in the world so that's the one that i use um there is a new milk that i'm wanting to try at the moment actually that i just found out about the other day which looks incredibly clean so i'm gonna have to try that i can't remember the name off the top of my head but i'm gonna look quickly now just to see if i can get the name um it's rebel rebel kitchen milk so that's Ooh. what i want to try I've never also come across my... a nice commercial nut milk. Like I just don't buy them. I make my own because you don't need to go out for like an almond milk flat white or something. Like it's always just revolting. Maybe you've got a better choice oh. of nut milks in Melbourne. So much respect for you. No, making your own. I wish it was something that I did, but not, not quite yet. Um, but then in my smoothie, I will also have um, a couple of good chunks of frozen kale or frozen spinach um and then i usually pop in there either some chlorella or spirulina as well spirulina is what's in there at the moment um really amazing little source of protein yum um, sounds amazing so my, yeah wow what a powerhouse mm, that's my standard smoothie for those that are wanting to replicate um and if, like I said, if I'm doing an MCT coffee for brekkie, then that smoothie will actually be my lunch. Um, but if I'm having for brekkie, then it won't be my lunch. Um, at lunchtime, it's usually a salad. Um, nothing, nothing like interesting here, but usually it's the quickest salad that I can put together, mm-hmm. um, which actually I'm quite proud of because I think a lot of people like dramatize meal time. You know, they, they, they make it just this daunting task to the point where they just give up and they get takeaway um, or they go for the easy option. So, you know, for my salad, it's usually a couple of handfuls of the organic kale slaw mix that I can get from the Coles right by the clinic. Um, and then I'll usually add tomatoes to that. Um, I may add um, some like some pre-cooked pumpkin um, or some pre-steamed broccoli. Um, I do often add some pre-cooked um, sweet potato. So cooked and cooled sweet potato is a really great source of resistant starch or prebiotics. So that food for our beneficial bacteria um, in our gut. So I'll add that to a salad a couple of times a week. 
And then, you know, sometimes I might add some hard boiled eggs and that will probably be between two and three eggs. Um, or if not, I'll use hemp seeds. So a couple of tablespoons of hemp seeds on there um, for, for protein. And then I add my good quality fats. So that will either be something like a quarter of an avocado and a tablespoon of oil. Um, and depending on the day, it'll be olive oil or it'll be hemp seed oil or flaxseed oil. Um, I try to change it up. You know, diversity is key. I know I said before, I'm a creature of habit with my smoothies, but I do try and mix things up in terms of my oils and the fats that I'm adding to my meals. Um, and if I want a little bit more in the way of fats there, then I'll probably add some seeds or some nuts to it or hummus. Hummus is one of my favourites in terms of like a really quick dressing. And that'll be a hummus that I make myself. Um, or if I wave the little white flag and I give up and I buy something from the shop, then it will be that Pilpel's hummus, which is um, the cleanest hummus that I've been able to find Fantastic. on the market. And it is, it's, you know, it is a case of um, not needing to dramatise dinner time. It can be so simple, just chipping yummy food from the fridge, on the plate and getting on with it. So thanks for sharing because that's really some um, you know, really actionable ideas that you've given us today. So, yeah. And dinner, do you want to hear about dinner quickly? Oh, yeah, sorry, go on. <laughs> <laughs> I do usually eat dinner. Um, but look, I, I change things up. You know, I try to get a different source of protein in at every meal. Um, you know, if you're if you're looking to to sort of, go more plant-based if you're already plant-based then it's really important that you're getting a variety of proteins in your diet um, or protein sources in your diets just so you're getting that full spectrum of amino acids um, you know, there's 21 amino acids the building blocks of proteins um, and we have um, depending on what you reference eight to nine essential amino acids now in animal proteins you get all of those amino acids there in the one source um, but plant-based proteins we don't have as many options when it comes to what we call um, complete sources of protein so those that have all our amino acids or essential amino acids so really important to get a broad range of proteins in your diet um, so usually I will at dinner time try and have something that I haven't had earlier in the day. So, you know, on this day that I'm talking you through where I've had a smoothie for brekkie, a, a salad for lunch with either hemp seeds or eggs, at dinner time I'll probably have something that's tempeh-based. So tempeh being that fermented soybean product. Um, I prefer it over soy because it is higher in iron, it's higher in protein, um, and, if, and, of course, it's fermented I always go for an organic, non-genetically modified option because soybeans are one of the the most, you know, genetically modified beans on the planet. So always genetically non-modified. Um, but yeah, I'll either have like a tempeh stir fry or a tempeh curry, um, or I'll make a little Buddha bowl with with tempeh as um, sort of one of the heroes there. Um, but then there's there's lots of sort of um, Buddha bowls that I have in my in my sort of repertoire that don't rely on tempeh so just depending on the day depends on what protein i put in there um i i've you know tried to make um building your plate really really simple um and so at the natural nutritionist what we talk our clients through 
is a build your plate guidelines. So we can take that drama out of meal time. Uh, and that's actually something that I go through mentally in my mind when I'm creating a meal. Um, so that build your plate guideline is to firstly look for non-starchy vegetables. So at every meal, you know, the goal is to get two cups of non-starchy vegetables. So that broccoli, that kale, that asparagus, that tomato, that mushroom, the list goes on and on, but ideally two cups. And then you look to your protein. So, you, you know, you decide from there, okay, where is my protein going to come at that, that, you know, at this meal? Is it going to come from a plant-based source or is it going to come from an animal-based source? Um, and there's, you know, there's lots of different option, options to choose from, from eggs to, to fish to hemp seeds um, and hemp powder to, you know, um, uh, a pea-based protein powder or, or to red meat, depending on what you want to eat. And then your good quality fats. So then looking for a sourcing of fat, a source of fat at every meal, you know, between one to two serves per meal, I find is the sweet spot for most people. Um, and one serving of fat is the equivalent of about two tablespoons of product. So that might be two tablespoons of nuts or seeds or their butters um, or two tablespoons um, of like a, like a grass-fed dairy butter um, or half an avocado or 100 mils of coconut cream or coconut milk. And then you look to the carbohydrates last. Um, and this is where, you know, we're looking more at an LCHF approach rather than a keto approach, um, but looking at carbohydrates last and really prioritizing them post-exercise. Um, and, you know, obviously whole food carbohydrates. So looking at things like sweet potato, potato, beetroot, parsnip um, or quinoa, and having them post-exercise. So, yeah, I mean, it's great to tell people what I, what I eat, um, but I also love talking through that build your plate guideline because I think it gives people some really practical sort of, um, I guess, information that they can go away and start to apply their own dietary preferences to. Yeah, no, that's, that's very helpful. And you've really demonstrated there that it is possible to do, um, to do a vegan or a vegetarian version of LCHF. Um, which is brilliant. Totally. So. And, yeah. And one of the reasons why it's such an area of interest for me, because as we were talking about sort of before we went live, is that this is an area where for so long it's just been like, you know, dominated by meatheads, you know, people that think you eat your red meat, your eggs, your butter, um, and the more of that, the better. So, um, you know, knowing my passion or, you know, with my passion for... Um, for the environment or the sustainability of, of mankind, um, I wanted to sort of break down that misnomer and help people to understand that you can, you know, you can experience the benefits of an LCHF approach, of which we know there are so many, um, even on a largely plant-based diet. Awesome. Awesome. Now, you, as you mentioned at the beginning, you're a practicing nutritionist. So I love to get a bit of a, um, you know, it's, behind closed doors insight as to what goes on. And I'd love, if you wouldn't mind, if you would share some of the issues that you see um, when you're practicing in clinic. Mm, particularly with those on a largely plant-based diet? Um, do you mean? Well, just in general, yeah, the people that you know, are presenting to you in clinic, what are some of the issues that you see them dealing with? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'll try and um, try and narrow it down to a few. But um, if you like, if, like, if you want to continue on the on the vegetarian veganism theme, you could, uh, 
if you want to keep it, but if it's easier for you to kind of narrow it down to that, we could do that. Yeah, although it's interesting because it probably applies to both sides or both ends of the spectrum in terms of the challenges that people come in with. But um, one would be appetite control, like just an absolute lack of appetite control and, um, you know, people coming in looking for, I, I guess, some accountability, someone to say, like, do this, don't do that. Um, and if I write it down on paper for you, you'll stick to it. Um, but the way that I, I prefer to approach that is actually to shift someone's physiology because, you know, those, those people that have got the cravings, um, you know, eating, you know, five, six, seven times throughout the course of the day, um, you know, they just haven't got that physiology set up um, to give them um, sort of any sort of appetite control you know, as, as I'm sure you've been through on the show before, you know, we've got two fuels that we can burn as humans. We can burn fat or we can burn carbohydrate. Um, and when there's lack of appetite control, when there's cravings, when there's hangries, you know, it's a very obvious sign that somebody's burning that sugar, sugar as their primary fuel source over and above fat. So um, that's, that's something that I see very, very often in clinic and people just need that help in, in shifting their physiology rather than looking for direct, you know, snack time substitutes, I guess. Um, I also find a lot of people with gut health challenges. Um, I don't know whether it's because I've had my own, so I just naturally attract the people that, that have got gut health challenges um, or if people are now just becoming aware of the fact that there's, there's another way. Um, but a lot of people with gut health challenges, um, and that may manifest as... Um, you know, seeming, seeming intolerance to, you know, all foods, um, you know, those people that just seem to bloat after they've had breakfast and, um, you know, they've had a clean breakfast that they don't usually bloat to. Um, or it might be people who've got, um, you know, other perhaps less, less associated um, issues, whether it be like um, unexplained skin conditions or nutrient deficiency, you know, that that does often come back down to gut health. So gut health is something that I work on, work on a lot um, in clinic. And for that, we do quite a bit of testing. So we use um, a, a couple of different labs, one called Bioscreen here in Melbourne, and we also use Nutripath um, to do microbiome mapping. So uh, as I'm sure you're aware, just such incredible research now looking at the impact of um, parasites on our gut health and, you know, therefore our broader health um, and also the impact of just um, dysbiosis in our gut. So dysbiosis is that, um, I guess, that imbalance of what is commensal bacteria, so bacteria we're born with that are supposed to be there in our gut um, but the imbalance of those. So whether it be through stress or lifestyle or diet or exposure to chemicals and toxins, um, you know, that gut, that bacteria we're supposed to have becomes imbalanced. Um, and that can have huge implications for our ability to break down and adjust certain foods or to create certain nutrients. You know, we have bacteria in our gut that help us to make B12. So, you know, if we don't have that bacteria, then then we're um, exposing ourselves to more risk of B12 deficiency, for, for example. Um, so, yeah, that microbiome mapping is, is, um, is something that we use a lot in clinic to treat gut health challenges. Um, and obviously, 
working at the natural nutritionist, our, um, our background is in, is in sports and is with endurance athletes. So, um, a lot of the clients that I work with are, you know, either distance runners or they're triathletes, um, and they're looking to looking for support with their, um, their fat adaptation. So, um, day-to-day nutrition but then also looking at how they can optimize their um their metabolism and also their fueling strategies for for race day and performance awesome without having to rely on little packets of goop so that's awesome thank you seriously for for sharing all of this um education essentially um and just debunking uh the myth that all plant-based well no, all vegan and vegetarians are statutarians that are just consuming, uh, you know, vegan junk food or vegetarian junk food and, and really um, demonstrating to us how you can have a low-carb, healthy-fat approach to any kind of um, model that you have, whether it be, you know, you eat, um, you might eat uh, dairy or eggs or you might eat red meat or you might have fish or you might be a vegan you know it's it's there it's there's something there for everyone which I love because this really is a case of um, finding out what works for you now I know you have to dash because you're a very sought after nutritionist and you have a meeting to go to and I don't want you to be late so just to wrap up with we couldn't let you leave the show, Ellie, without getting your opinion. We already know you like your, your coffee because you've shared that with us. But what are your thoughts on wine and chocolate? Ah, oh, yes. Okay. So um, I don't say no to anything to anybody, really, um, unless it's detrimental to their health. So as a practicing nutritionist, I tend to make those decisions one-on-one with an individual. Um and whether or not those, those sort of foods work for them. When it comes to me, I am so bad at tolerating alcohol that I've decided for the time being I'm just better without wine. Um, I'm starting to get more of a histamine response and reaction to it. Um, I feel it the next day really easily. Um, so for me personally, I, I don't drink wine anymore, but I'm definitely not going to turn my nose up at you if you do, um, unless there's ramifications for you as well. Um, when it comes to chocolate, oh my God, I have the sweetest tooth in the world. Um, and so I do eat chocolate, but I tend to eat refined sugar free and dairy free chocolate. So my favorite chocolate is Pana chocolate. Um, and for me, one or two squares is, is enough. Um, I don't tend to be that person that eats the whole block. If it's there in front of me, I'm quite happy with one or two squares. And yes, we've already talked about coffee, but I do drink decaf coffee. Um, so they're my thoughts on wine, chocolate and coffee. Awesome. And it's, you know, good quality chocolate is very satisfying. It's like the, the stuff that, um, the purple stuff, the stuff in the purple wrapper, you know, it is being designed in the lab to make you want more of it and to never be satisfied. So you never need to beat yourself up for not being able to stop at two pieces because it's been designed. So you eat more of it. Whereas when you eat the good quality, real stuff, you are completely satisfied 
with just a couple of squares. I'll have to try pan of chocolate. I haven't mm. tried that one, so that's cool. Oh, you haven't? Yeah. No. I want some. <laughs> I want some. Now, if we wanted to work with you, Ellie, how can we get some consults with you at the National Natural Nutritionist? That's hard to say on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a tongue twister. Yeah. Um, yes, consult out of the natural nutritionist. Um, our clinic is based in Sandringham in Melbourne, but um, I do plenty of FaceTime and Skype consultations. So I would say a vast, the good majority of my clients aren't actually based in Melbourne. Sandringham, I should state, say. So if you do want to work with me, you can jump onto the naturalnutritionist.com.au um, and there's um, – space there where you can either book in for your initial consultation or if you just want to meet me um, briefly firsthand you can book in for a complimentary 15-minute consultation which um, like I said is just an opportunity to meet me because I think um, you know if you're going to work with a nutritionist it's really important that you gel and you know them and their um, you know them and their sort of theories before you before you work together so that 15-minute complimentary consultation is, an, is a good option. Um, you can find me also on Instagram. So my Instagram handle is nutritionally. So that's like nutrition with Ellie. So either ah, one. Ah, clever. Yeah. So, yeah, you can find me there on Instagram. Um, but, yeah, there's so much incredible information on our website, thenaturalnutritionist.com.au, and, and also recipes, including plant-based recipes, if you want to dip your toe in the water there. Um, you know, I think for, for me, as, I, as I've probably alluded to, you know, during this conversation is that I don't want there to be this, um, this, this sort of typecasting or this fear of people that consume a largely plant-based diet. You know, I think the reality is, is that um, the meat and livestock industry has more of an impact on the environment um, and the future of our planet than things like the travel industry. So, you know, we as a collective have something we can do about that. And if that means that we you know, literally just start to shift a few choices during the week to, you know, to have a, have a plant-based meal, then, you know, that's a great start that we all can, all can make. What a wonderful point to end on, Ellie. Thank you so much for being such an incredible guest today. Thank you, Helen. Thanks for having me. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.